All right, let's read God's Word together from Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Proposition from our text today is on the screen. In fact, the entire chapter could probably be summarized by this statement here, that God wants you to live by faith. Faith. Now, what is faith? We're going to talk a lot about that over the next uh, several messages as we go through the entire chapter, which is all about faith. So let's answer this question first of all. What is the nature of faith? A lot of misunderstanding on this. So what's the very nature? If you were to boil it down, what, what, do you, what is the understanding of faith? Well, let me tell you what faith is not. Here's some of the misunderstandings on faith. Faith, well, it, it's not blind optimism. It's not blind optimism. It, 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 neither is it a, some, of the, some people think of it as some manufactured hope-so feeling where, where they talk about, well, I, I, I hope so. And they try to, try to talk themselves into believing something. It's not an intellectual assent to a doctrine or a belief. True faith is confident obedience to God's Word, and it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, and it doesn't matter what the consequences are. True faith is confident obedience to God's Word, and that's what you're going to see in all the examples in Hebrews 11. So let's see how God describes faith right here in these verses. Number one, notice right there in verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hope for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now remember, the whole context, the Holy Spirit is, is, is writing to these Hebrew people. In Old Testament times, the men and women had to rest on the promises of God, because God had made a lot of promises to His people Israel. God had told them that one day there would be a coming Messiah, this, this Messiah was a deliverer who would come and would deal with their greatest problem, which is their sin. He told them that one day all Israel will be made clean, be ruled by this righteous Messiah. You, you can read those promises in your Old Testament. So God's faithful believe God's promises. They didn't have a, a great deal of specific light or insight, if you will, at least by our New Testament standards. Praise God, we have, we have the New Covenant, this New Testament. We have a lot more light than the Hebrews did. But they knew, nevertheless, it was God's light. And, and as a result of that, they put their faith and their trust and their hope in it. And that is what faith is, my friends. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for. Faith is living in a hope that is so real to you that it gives you absolute assurance. Absolute assurance. 
See, the promises given to the Old Testament saints were so real to them because they believed God that they actually based their lives on them. And they did incredible things, humanly speaking, strange things, (laughs) some of them. But all the Old Testament promises related to the future. For many believers, far into the future, a long, long way off into the future. But God's people acted as if those things were a present tense reality for them. They simply took God at His word, and then they lived their lives on that basis. So that's why they're called people of faith. And, And the faith gave them a present assurance of what was yet future. Now, what is God saying here? True faith is an absolute certainty. And and it's often of of things that the world considers unreal, and the world often considers impossible. So if we follow a God whose audible voice we've never heard, and you've never seen, but nevertheless you believe in a Christ whose face that we have never seen, how do we do that? Well, we, we, we do so because our faith has a reality, doesn't it? Your faith has a substance. Your faith has an assurance that is unshakable. And sometimes your workmates talk to you like you've, you've lost your, your brains, right? You believe in a Christ you've never seen. You believe in a God you've never seen. You, have you heard him talk to you? No, but I still believe in him. And so the world has a hard time understanding that because they don't have faith. Well, let's just talk of some quick examples here. For, for example, you look at verse 26 in our text here. We see um, an example here of Moses. I'll just give you an ex- one example. Because it says of Moses that uh, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Did Moses see Christ? (laughs) No. But nevertheless, Moses took a stand on those messianic hopes and promises, and what did he do as a result of that? He he forsook all of the material wealth and the things of Egypt, even even the very things that he could touch as the prince of Egypt, things that were there for him, but nevertheless, he forsook those, Because God, by faith, enabled him to see a Messiah that was 1,400 years away. The Messiah hadn't come yet, and he would come, but it was 1,400 years into the future. But he believed by faith. Let me give you another Old Testament example that's not in Hebrews 11. You'll see someone's artwork on the screen here of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, three Hebrew young men who were taken off into exile. And it's, it's fascinating to me because they were confronted by people and circumstances that they could see and touch and feel, right? Here's, here's King Nebuchadnezzar commanding them to bow down and worship the image, this false god, that they could see. Or a God whom they had never seen. Which did they choose to do? 
by faith, they chose to not give in to all the peer pressure and to worship the God they had never seen. Without hesitation, despite the circumstances and the consequences, they chose to obey God. That's what faith does. See, our natural response, though, is to trust our physical senses, right? You have five senses you know about, right? Things like your taste, your touch, your hearing, your sight, so forth. That's our natural response. We want to trust in those physical senses to to put our faith in the things that we can actually see. We want to put our faith in the things we hear, the things we can taste, the things we can feel. But people of faith, according to Hebrews 11 here, put their trust in something that is actually more durable, more dependable than anything they will ever experience with your five senses. Some people think Christians are strange. Some people have, sometimes Christians have been called masochist. You know, a mas- you know what a masochist is? You know, people who, they got this strange, um, fascination with uh, with pain. <laughs> Christians don't want to necessarily experience pain. Quite to the contrary. In fact, I hope you're like me. Are you Live for the ultimate and permanent pleasure. Yes, you heard a preacher say that. But, but I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. Okay? See, we live in the certainty that whatever discomfort or pain that we have to endure in this life for Christ's sake on this earth is only a temporary thing. I am going to be more than compensated in the future for what I experience here on earth, right? Do you believe that? See, people of faith believe that, just as Moses did. See, there's something that is greater than even in all the wealth of Egypt. There's something greater than what happens here on earth. And so we ought to live for that ultimate and permanent pleasure. Now notice your Bible says faith is, in verse 1, the faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word assurance there refers to essence. It's referring to a real content, not imaginary. It's talking about something that is a reality, uh, as opposed to just mere appearance. What does faith do? Faith provides the firm ground on which we can stand. Firm ground. A firm foundation on which you can stand. It's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And so far from being uncertain, faith is the most solid possible conviction that you can have. Faith is the present essence of a future reality. If you look at verse 13, this is an interesting verse. Because verse 13 says, talking about these people of faith here, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Wow, that's interesting. (laughs) Those Old Testament saints saw a reality that they hadn't seen with their physical eyes. 
And they received these promises as, as, as something that was true and real. And they welcomed them. They saw the fulfillment of God's promise with the, not the physical eye, but they, they saw it with the eye of faith. The eye of faith, which, by the way, when it is in God, has immeasurably better vision than even the, the best of anyone's physical eyes. And so they held on to the promise as the ultimate reality of their lives, as the most certain thing of their existence. That's how God describes faith, first of all. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Look at the next part, that God, how God describes faith. He says, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Conviction of things not seen here, by the way, carries... The same truth, but it carries it even further. Because it's implying here an an actual response on your behalf. It's an outward display of that inward assurance that God gives you. So the person of faith lives out his belief, if you will. It's acted out on the outside. Because of what's going on on the inside. His life is committed to what his mind and his spirit are convinced is true. (laughs) That's a person of faith. Let let me give you an example here. Just one example from the scripture. Uh, Noah's mentioned in this chapter. Interesting, uh, think about Noah. Noah truly believed God, did he not? How do you know he believed God? Because he actually obeyed God. He could not have started the task that God gave him without having an absolute faith in what God said. Think about it. What did God do? God predicted that rain was going to fall. As far as we know, Noah had no concept of what rain is. Because rain, as far as we know, didn't exist before the flood. It's possible that Noah did not even know how to construct a boat what use would a boat be to him? Much less, not even, he didn't even probably know how to make a little boat, much, much less a, a gigantic ark like God had told him to build. But nevertheless, what did Noah do? Noah believed God, and he acted on those instructions. He had both assurance and conviction. He had both, and that's how God describes true faith here. His outward building of the ark bore out his inward belief that what God said was going to actually happen, right? It was going to rain. The the earth was going to flood. There was a coming destruction that was going to come. And so he believed that God's plan was correct. And therefore he, he goes and he spends the next 120 years doing what God had told him to do. He preaches. He's described as a preacher of righteousness. He, uh, he spends all this time building this huge, gigantic ark. And so his faith was based on God's Word, not on what he could see or on what he had experienced. Isn't that amazing? Would you spend 120 years of your life doing something you'd never seen? Something you'd never done before? Is your, do you have that kind of faith? It's unbelievable. But an unbeliever can't do that. 
an unbeliever can't comprehend that kind of spiritual faith. Because he has no spiritual senses. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in the realities of God's realm. So he's like a blind man who refuses to, to believe in something called light. He's never seen light, so he refuses to believe in it. Because he's never seen the light. That's the way unbelievers are. They haven't seen the spiritual light. Is it any wonder they don't believe in it? Yet there's a sense in which all people, by the way, live by some sort of a faith or a trust, right? Society is actually built on the foundation of faith. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me give you some examples. Every time you go to a restaurant, you are exhibiting faith. Every time you you order takeaways or you you, you go to a fast food restaurant or a sit-down restaurant, you are showing great faith you know that? Yeah, so you eat that food in the restaurant, and, and as far as I know, none of you have done any scientific tests on any of the food before you eat it, right? Right? You, you haven't sent it off to the lab to see was there salmonella in that food or, or giardia or whatever might, you know. No, you, you, you just sit down and eat it, right? And if you do that, you're exhibiting faith. It might be a misfound faith, <laughs> granted, but nevertheless, that is an example of faith. Another one is, for me, this this is a big one, because I've gone under the surgeon's knife uh, three times now. How many of you had surgery where they where they put you to sleep? I'm curious. How many of you done that? It's like ooh, quite a few. So you you know you know you, you you go under the surgeon's knife. You know they they give you that. Uh, those drugs that put you into la-la land, you go off to sleep. Have any of you ever wondered what's going on in the room while you're sleeping? Any of you? That's a lot of faith, isn't it? you got all these people surrounding you. I mean, they could be doing all... Uh, I don't want to put any nasty things in your mind, but a lot of good people there. But they could do to you whatever they wanted, can't they? So that that's a, a, an exhibition of faith in the surgeon and everybody else in the room that they're supposed to do what you've asked them to do. See, the capacity for faith is created in us by God. Spiritual faith, though, operates in the realm of that capacity. It willingly accepts and acts on many things it does not understand. But spiritual faith, though, is radically different from that natural kind of faith that you might put in a surgeon or in the chef that you're not not overseeing and watching the chef back in the kitchen, right? How is he cooking my food? Most of us don't do that. But it's different. Spiritual faith is different. In fact, it's not natural at all. Look what Ephesians 2.8 says here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You understand, faith is a gift of God. Spiritual faith is something God enables you to do. It's not natural. But in verse 2, we see a testimony of faith. What, what is the testimony of faith? Well, look at Hebrews 11.2. This is a beautiful testimony, because it says, For by it, faith... The people of old received their commendation. 
people of old. <laughs> what, what happened? The people of old, the, in that Old Testament, they gained approval from God because of their faith. And because of nothing else, by the way, it's not their works. By the way, God has always approved and recognized the person of faith. He, he loves the person of faith. And this verse here implies what other parts of the chapter make clear, by the way. We'll get there in the weeks to come. But God makes His approval known to those who actually trust Him. Now, how God shows His approval is, is different. It varies from person to person. It's not always the same. But every, nevertheless, every saint has God's witness that his faith is pleasing to the Lord. Faith is not simply one way to please God. You do understand that, right? In fact, look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So, apart from faith then, what does that mean? Apart from faith, our actions, our words are meaningless, are worthless without faith. But modern man has put himself in a strange dilemma. And I appreciate the way one man of God put it. If you've never, by the way, if you've never read Francis Schaeffer, his materials are excellent. I particularly enjoyed his book, How Then Shall We Live? Very helpful book, uh, How Then Shall We Live? I don't think it's in our church library, but I do have it in mine. And uh, I've learned a lot from him over the years. He was an evangelical scholar and apologist, and he, he frequently pointed out interesting things about our culture. But uh, he shows a dilemma that modern man has, has put himself in. Throughout virtually all of history, man had what philosophers call a unified field of knowledge. In other words, uh, the man understood the supernatural. Uh, they, they, understood, they understood human history. They understood well, virtually everything, science, ethics, economics, pretty much everything. And it was all within one framework of reference. Those areas were all part of a total reality. In other words, all the, the sciences and the histories and, and, and all that other stuff kind of came under the umbrella of pretty much God. And so those areas were all part of a total reality. But then we had a great movement in philosophy that is called rationalism. Rationalism denied the very existence of the supernatural, who, of course, uh, then they therefore denied the very existence of God himself. And in, in the part of all of this, a prime target of the attacks, of course, would be the Bible. You want to deny supernatural, then you've got to attack the Bible. And so they contradicted every supernatural claim of Scripture. So, you know, the miracles, there can't be a virgin birth, you can't have a resurrection, right? You, you can't have any of the other miracles. So they reduced all knowledge and reality to the area of natural reason. So things I can see and touch and so forth. It dealt only with the, the physical senses could observe and, and you were actually able to measure with your human mind somehow. So mankind then becomes the measure of all things, right? 
if it's everything that you can you can see and touch and handle, then humanity becomes the measure. Humanity becomes the standard. But most people could not handle this radical explanation, he says. And even from the human perspective, it left, it left too much unaccounted for. It made mankind nothing more than, than a part of a huge, meaningless machine. And a lot of people don't... They, they want to be a part of something that's meaningful. They want purpose in their life. And so that, that didn't work for them. Some philosophers began to see the limitations of rationalism. For example... Uh, uh, if you've never read about Kierkegaard, uh, you ought to read that book, uh, Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave. Excellent book. But, but Kierkegaard decided uh, to make a place for the supernatural by putting in a different order of reality than the everyday world. He, he called it the, the upper story. The upper story is, is, is thought not to be knowable in the same way that the lower earthly level is knowable. Different categories. So it's experienced only by the leap of faith. Leap of faith is this blind leap of faith into who knows what. And so because it supposedly can't, cannot really be known, everyone is then free to make of the supernatural what they want it to be. And so they can simply believe in believing. You heard that? Or have faith in faith. <laughs> wow. But what is believed has, when you just say that, your belief has no content. You can't have faith in faith. There's no definite reality, no definite truth with that kind of a philosophy. It's just purely existential. Uh some have called it the escape from reason, which is the opposite extreme from that of rationalism. And so both of those philosophies are escapes from the true God. They're trying to find the meaning of reality without God in the picture. Of course, you're never going to find the meaning of reality. You're not going to find reality without God. But anyway, that's what they're trying to do. And so this new non-rational philosophy first began to influence art. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about Francis Schaeffer in his book, How Then Shall We Live, is he, he shows how people's beliefs influence every part of culture. And so you, you want to know what's going on in a culture? Look at its art, is what one of the things I learned from Francis Schaeffer. Look at the art. <laughs> it's interesting, art before rationalism always had a, a basic... It was basically realistic. Artists varied wildly in style and technique, but they they tried to portray reality. In other words, uh, a picture of a man always looked like a man. A picture of a flower always looked like a flower. And everything else was tried to portray as real. So art, was they, they say, was reasonable and it was realistic. It corresponded to what all people saw and what they experienced, but then you then then you get this this philosophy coming along that was non-rational. And so you know you know how the art changed. Art began to reflect the the new philosophy. So now there's no absolutes, no certainties about anything. And so now when an artist tries to paint a man, 
represent, well, they can, they can represent a man however they want now. Uh, you know, a flower takes the form of whatever the artist has in his mind. Do you see, you see that, how that works? So you get guys like Van Gogh and Picasso and many others. They developed what, what became known as abstract art, which was completely subjective and imaginary, or imaginative, I should say. But, and then you can see how it's influenced not just art, but it, it's even come into music, right? So your theology is going to drive your philosophy, and your philosophy is going to drive your methodology. And so you can see this happening in our culture. So we see it in music. So you, if everything is subjective, there's no absolutes, uh, how do you define reality? Then, of course, the music's going to become subjective and imaginative too. Apart from its content or its structure, you can see this happening in rock music. So whatever goes, right, can be put in the music. So relativism can lead nowhere but to meaninglessness and despair. Is it any wonder that suicide is on the rise? But these people insisted that this is all there is to the world. Just what you see. This is all there is to life. This is is all there is to man. and, And that we therefore have to make the best of what there is here. Since God was ruled out... Mankind had no measure of himself, had no measure of the world. They couldn't, uh, couldn't, uh, wow, what a, we end up with a mess, don't we? This is why faith is so important. Faith in reality, in, in, in the real. And of course, this spills over into theology. The most significant area to be affected was theology. A God that may be there, that might be good, that may care for you and me, can hardly be a God that's going to inspire us to worship Him and devote ourselves to Him and make a commitment to Him. If not quite sure if He even exists, why would you commit to something that you're not even sure exists, right? A God that makes and imagines. <laughs> if that's what you believe, Think about it. Then mankind can remake and reimagine a God into their image. A theology of a God that cannot be known or understood is is not actually theology at all, by the way. It can hardly surprise us that you end up with extreme forms. You can even end up with something that's contentless. (laughs) And some have even said that God is dead. Of course, even this doctrine had no content, no exact meaning. It simply meant whatever the person who is used to may have meant that what he said, what what he wrote about, becomes reality. And then you get people who, because they they live with this philosophy, their, their world is a mess, their lives are a mess, so people do all sorts of things, might take alcohol, might take drugs, because they, they've run out of rational options for them. What else is there? If you don't like the reality you see, well then I need to drown out my reality. I need to deaden the brain cells so that I don't see reality. 
They try to escape. Some, some try to escape in all sorts of interesting ways, right? They'll get into witchcraft or astrology, looking at stars, right? And horoscopes and so forth. And some hope, put their hope in reincarnation or some even get into the cults. What are they doing? They're looking for meaning. They're looking for a sense of reality, often while denying there can be any such thing. These are some of the desperate lengths to which people go when they reject God. They're left only with the absurd. They're left with no faith, no hope, no peace, no assurance, and no confidence, no conviction. Sad, isn't it? So they can only leap from one empty absurdity to another. They have no expectation of the next. They have no hope that the next thing's going to be better than the one they've been addicted to. My friends, God is the only rational answer in this. He's the only sure answer. Only the God who made people can ever satisfy people. Only the God who made reason can make life reasonable. Only the God who made the universe can show anyone the purpose in why He made it. And since the time of Adam and Eve, some people have believed in God and believed what God has has said. Praise God, there are people of faith. Uh, But for them, life has been meaningful. It has assurance. It has substance. It has... There's a confidence for people of faith. They did not make a blind leap of faith. They put their faith in in a future reality. Have you done that? And, and of course, with this, certainly then, as a result of that, I should say, there comes an assurance, there comes confidence, and there comes hope. So, my friends, believing in God gives you reason to live this life now, and it gives you hope for dying. You want to have hope when you die? Believe God in what He said. Well, verse 3 gives us the illustration of faith. What is the illustration of faith? Verse 3 says, By faith we understand the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Incredible. God didn't just create the world. Notice, He created the world's plural which designates the physical universe itself, not just planet Earth, but the entire universe. God made the entire universe, and that includes, by the way, the whole operation of it. It includes the administration of His universe. Now, how did He do that? Verse 3 says, He created everything simply by His Word. He spoke it into existence. It comes by His divine utterance. The origin of the universe probably know has been a long-standing problem for philosophers and, and the scientists. Why? Because they don't, they don't have the faith that this passage is talking about. So for centuries, the philosophers and the scientists have been investigating, they've been speculating, they, you know, they compare their writings with each other, and they talk about all these theories that they come up with. But have, they, have any of those things brought them any closer to reality? Sadly, probably not. 
It doesn't seem to brought them closer to a solution. Well, there's your solution right there. It's right in the Scriptures. So every time a consensus seems to be developing on, on some particular theory, isn't it interesting that somebody else comes up with another theory? Someone comes up with so-called evidence that disproves that theory, and then, and then oh, they just the ball keeps rolling. So science has done no better than philosophy, by the way, in, in answering mankind's questions to the origin of the universe. And even though science, by the way, by definition is supposed to be limited to what is observable, what is measurable, and what is repeatable. Nevertheless, some scientists, uh, as you know, what are they doing? They're persisting and speculating about the origin of the earth and of the entire universe. They're trying to reconstruct a process which they've never seen, which is not measurable and not repeatable. But nevertheless, they persist. They've assumed a burden that is actually far beyond their competence and their resources. So through faith, though, verse 3 tells us, we understand that the universe, the worlds, were framed by the Word of God. So we know who did it. We know how He did it. That's a great truth. A truth the world's most brilliant thinkers have not discovered, and they can't discover, by the way, on their own, God has to enable them to believe this. And so it's beyond the realm of scientific investigation. But nevertheless, it is still knowable, is it not? Still knowable. Because God has, the one who is there, the one who did it, has told us how this has happened. The question is, are we willing to be taught by the Word of God? Or are we going to try to trump God and have something that, that's so-called greater than God himself? I want to just end with a few lessons that we can learn from Hebrews chapter 11. Number one, we need to understand that salvation has always been by grace through faith. And then I'll add, it's also in Christ alone. But the, the, the point of the, this chapter here, showing these Hebrews, salvation hasn't changed under the New Covenant. Under the New Covenant, it's, it's the same as it was in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. See, God didn't have one plan of redemption for the Old Testament saints. And then Christ comes along, and somehow salvation has now changed. No, it's not the way it is. Faith has always been the means by which sinful people can be accepted by God and can receive His salvation. It's always been that way. That's the whole point of Romans chapter 4. How was Abraham justified? By faith. So read Romans 4. And number 2, here's a second lesson you can learn. Don't miss this. The distinguishing characteristic of God's people is faith. That's why it's called the Hall of Faith. You look at all these Old Testament people here. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses, right? What, what distinguishes them? It's not their intelligence, not their abilities, right? It's their faith. The one thing that set these people apart was their faith. And by the way, the faith has to be in God. So my friends, is that true in your life? Is that the distinguishing characteristic of your life? Faith in God? 
Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The third lesson you can learn is this from Hebrews 11 is that faith is active, it's working, it's fruitful. It's fruitful. In other words, it's going to bear fruit. What's going on in the inside should show on the outside, right? And although it's true we do not work for our salvation, still we must work because of our salvation. Does that make sense? Or as James chapter 2 says it, show me your faith by your works. Show me your faith by your works. Genuine faith works. A live tree that is growing has fruit. What did Jesus say? I, I, I look to the fruit. The, the fruit is going to reveal what's going on in the, in the inside and the roots of the tree. You look at every time you look at a tree and you say, "Well, there's no leaves on that tree. There's no fruit on the tree." You know, there's there's nothing going on in the outside of the tree. What do you think? You're, you're going to think the tree's dead, right? That's the logical conclusion. And that's the point Jesus made. By the fruit you will know if the tree is alive or dead. True faith produces actions. So my friends, what kind of faith does your life show? What kind of faith does your life show? Your life is revealing something to the people around you. Of course, God sees your heart. What, what kind of life are you showing? Are you, is your life showing a great faith in God? Or something else? Something for you to consider. Something for you to pray about. And the fourth lesson is this. That faith will be rewarded by God. It's going to be rewarded by God. Look at verse 10. Oh, this is an awesome verse of verse 10. Because it says, here is, is, is talking about Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Can you empathize with Abraham here? Are, are you looking for a city who is designed and built by God? This is talking about the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Yeah, the one that Revelation talks about. That's going to come down out of heaven. It's going to come down to the new earth. It's going to be the eternal home of all believers. It's that place that John 14 is talking about where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for all believers. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you to myself and I'm going to take you to where I am so there you may be also. That's the new Jerusalem. Do you believe in it? Do you believe in that? So ultimately, my friends, your faith is, is going to lead you to this city. This city that is built by God. By the way, the best part of this, don't lose sight of the best part. What's, what's the best part for you? Is it the, the, the streets of gold or is it or uh, you're looking forward to eating out of that tree that changes as it's you know has like twelve different fruits, or or uh, is it that you get to live in in heaven without your sin nature and you're going to be perfect, or is it the fact that you no longer have to go to sleep anymore and there's going to be no more night and and y- y- you're not going to be tired and you're not going to have any more pain there'll be no more sorrow or no more crying and no more death, or is it? that you get to live with God forever. That's the ultimate reward of a believer who has put his faith in God. 
See, yeah, yeah, the, the city, oh, that's all cool. Yeah, that's great, awesome stuff. But the best part is you get to live in the city with God. Because what good is the city if God's not there? That's where your faith is. That's where it should be. And so, my friends, remember the proposition. God wants you to live your life by faith. Are you? Are you living by faith? God can enable you to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can see things, spiritually speaking, that our physical eyes can't see. Thank you for opening our spiritual eyes and beholding wonderful things from your word. Thank you for enabling us to believe your promises, to believe who you have revealed yourself to be in your word. Grant us this kind of faith that is unwavering, unshakable, that is durable and dependable and will last for all eternity. May we be people of faith because we see here that we cannot please you apart from faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.